Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Kristen Rademacher, author of From the Lake House, A Mother's Odyssey of Loss and Love. It's a memoir of resilience and hope in the face of a devastating loss. This achingly honest memoir explores issues of grief and identity as a woman gives up her dream of motherhood and leaving an old life behind to forge something new. Poignant and perceptive, From the Lake House explores the echoes of rash decisions and ill-fated relationships, the barren and disorienting days an aching mother faces without her baby, and the mysterious healing that can take root while rebuilding a life gutted by loss. Kirk has called the book a poignant and painful remembrance with comforting messages for the grieving. Carol Henderson, author of Losing Malcolm, A Mother's Journey Through Loss and Farther Along, says, in this beautifully written and poignant memoir, we learn that though people and dreams die, relationships don't. If we're attuned, the dead can transform our lives, offering enduring love and guidance and hope. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, and congratulations. Uh, I want to say publishing the book, but also finishing the book. Yes. <laughs> because, I agree. Because that sometimes is the hardest part, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Wh- where is home now for you, and does it feel like home, and why? Home is Chapel Hill, North Carolina, um, and and this is where my book starts off. As I 
I left Boston to come to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I would say that the first few years, it did not feel like home. The first few years were very challenging for me, um, but it, it definitely feels like home now. I've been here for um, 18 years, and it's just a beautiful place to live. There are trails everywhere. There's just lots of outdoor space. I love, I work at the university, and I, I like a university town and all that that has to offer. So it did not initially feel like home. It felt like I had gone down the rabbit hole, but <laughs> I came out, and now it is my home. I feel very rooted here. Well, that's interesting, uh, Kristen, because I was uh, born in Chapel Hill. I was only there for about a year, but uh, my parents lived there, and I have a connection to Chapel Hill because my grandfather uh, was a sports writer uh, in the 30s and 40s, but then he became the sports information director at uh, UNC Chapel Hill for many years uh, and, and lived there. So I love Chapel Hill. I love the particularly the fall time period when leaves are falling. Uh, for you, that move to Chapel Hill, as you talk about in your book, came with, uh, well, it was kind of a rough landing because you were leaving Boston. You'd broken up, you know, from a relationship. Tell us how that, uh, tell us a little bit about that landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to think of it as a crash landing. And and as as crashes sometimes can look, there's like the initial explosion, and then there's a series of tumbles and explosions that continue on for a while. So that's sort of what it felt like for me for the first um, couple of years. But um, as I say in the book, I had had a a very painful breakup with someone who I just adored, wanted to marry him, the whole thing, you know, he was the one for me. Um, And it was a, it was a shocking and painful breakup. And at that time, I had no capacity to manage the flood of emotions I had around that. And so um, I came to Chapel Hill in the middle of my grieving to visit my older brother who happened to live here and still does. And in that visit, I met this other person who was going through a divorce and it was just, you know, a, a match. Not the best match, but sometimes two uh, desperate people find all kinds of things to cling on to in each other, and we did. And then I ended up leaving my job and moved down here. It was very impulsive, and I don't have an impulsive bone in my body, but I evidently did in that time in my life. So, Kristen, one of the things about uh, this book as I'm reading it is you know, there's a lot of honesty in here, and several of your of your reviewers talk about that. Uh, one that I didn't mention, Janelle Atlas, writer and editor of They Were Still Stillborn, Personal Stories About Stillbirth, talks about it being an achingly honest memoir. And, you know, memoirists are charged with telling the truth. Uh, if they don't, it's not really a memoir. Uh, I mean, it, it can be, but sometimes people try to make themselves sound better than they are. And it's, it was probably hard, I imagine, for you to be as honest as you were here. It's one thing to write about it for yourself as you did journaling, as you talk about in the book, but then to get to that point where you're going to put it out in the world. Um, what were your thoughts and concerns about that, 
about the brutal honesty and putting the story out there? Oh, that was hard. The, the months leading up to the release of the of the book were were really hard. And I would say two things. As I started writing the book, I was working very very closely with a, a very intimate um, writing group, and this group w- was really the first um, time that I had shared the like the sort of the full Monty of what my story was. I hadn't even shared all of it with my closer friends and with my family. So, and I remember at the time, every, every week when I would bring like a new piece of the story, I would, I was always prepared for what I thought would be like judgment or, or something bad from this group that never happened. Um, so that was really instructive to me. But then as, as I published the book and was waiting for it to launch, all those feelings came right back to the surface. Um, and I think I, part of my, my grief process was just feeling a lot of shame that I had somehow messed up my life, that I had made a series of bad decisions. And then I had some bad luck, obviously, with the death of my, uh, death of my baby. Um, but I, I just felt that in my warped perception, everyone else's life was going along on track beautifully. And mine was way over there just kind of a mess. So I felt really ashamed about that. Um, so as I was waiting for my book to launch, I thought, here comes the judgment. You know, I sort of, I slipped by the, the first years when I was writing with my group. But now, now that it's going to be in the public, I'm going to get, um, I'm going to get what I've been trying to not get. And of course it didn't happen. You know, yeah. it's just this constant lesson I'm learning that life is, Life is hard. Life is messy. We all have periods of kind of disorder. And I think the gift is what do we do with it that we can bring out into the world? And that's what I kept coming back to as I was kind of like hiding under my covers this summer thinking, what have I done? I've let the horses out of the barn and I can't get them back in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and it's beautifully written too. I, you know, I found myself at different times just asking myself, you know, how, how did you, how did you get through it? You, you know, you lost your daughter so close to her birth. You found out, uh, you know, within within days before you gave birth that uh, that uh, she had died, and you had to go through the process of not only delivering um, as as a normal delivery but then naming your daughter. And I'm just wondering, you know, how did, how did you get through that part of the process? I, I don't even know, you know, I, I think looking back at it, I wonder if this is true for other people who've had sort of a traumatic loss that something just takes over. Some part of your brain goes numb and some other part rises to the surface and just gets you, puts one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, and I, I really vacillated between having moments of just intense upsetness and then it would just shut down and I would just kind of go, go zombie. And my guess is that that's a pretty typical experience for people who've had something, you know, the rug pulled out from under them. Mm. So I don't have any more of a, astute answer than that because I I really don't know you know and sometimes people have said to me 
you know, you're so strong. How did you do it? And I think the answer is you don't really have a choice. You know, you have to, you don't have a choice. You have to get out of your bed <laughs> and do the things that you need to do to keep your body going and your life going. So, yeah, and I read your acknowledgments as well. And, and you do, um, even though you had this sort of tumultuous relationship uh, with, with the father of the daughter you lost, uh, you, you acknowledge him in the book, in the acknowledgments because of the part he played there. Uh, you're no longer, you know, with, with him, but you also acknowledge family um, as being sort of an anchor for you or helping you steer the rudder. How important was your family, not only through that first part of the process, but through everything that followed? I'm so glad you brought that up because yes, how did I get through it? In in one way, I don't know. In another way, there were people supporting me and my family was a huge one. Um, And as luck would have it, I happened to live at that time across the street from my brother. Um, And so my brother and sister-in-law and nephew, just we were back and forth between each other's houses a lot. And it just would provide moments of normalcy, you know, let's play some cards and just watch some TV, here's some food. Um, My mother did not live here at the time, she does now, but she was enormously helpful, has always been for me. Um, But she was the one person I could really call and, you know, didn't have to talk much, but she knew what I was feeling. So, yeah, I didn't really have many friends here at the time because I was new enough that I hadn't really made deep connections. So so the family played a really critical part. So, Kristen, we're here today talking on a podcast about a topic um, that's very difficult even to think about. And I'm just wondering, I know you've written a book, you've put it out there, but how hard is it for you to talk about it uh, publicly? Uh, does it help? Does it hurt? Is it something in between? Can you share your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good question. I, I think I've had I've had both extremes of of that um, sort of helping and hurting, and I think it depends on who I'm talking to and what the what the mood is. Certainly, at the very beginning, I would say it was hard. It was hard because I was still trying to process it and make sense of it. And I didn't have the words. And I was just trying to stay composed. Now it's been, you know, it's almost been 18 years. So the pain is not acute. So sometimes I can hear myself and I've done, I've I've done a few interviews because of my book, I can hear myself talk about it. um, And it feels distant from me. And then other times, I'm talking about it and I can hear my voice crack. And so I, I think there's a little bit of a mystery to what happens in my emotional life and probably in all people's emotional life. You know, it's a loss is a loss and it's always going to live inside of me. Um, and I think sometimes it's just, it rises closer to the surface and I don't always know why or how, I don't know what triggers it. So um, I feel like that's a little bit of a non-answer, but I have. No, no that's, that's, 
That's good. I, I uh, you said eighteen years. So does that mean she's come? She would be coming up on her eighteenth birthday. Yes, in January. Um, I know you've marked the birthdays over the years. What are you thinking about uh, when you think about marking your eighteenth birthday? Well, it's certainly um, a landmark birthday. Um, no, that's not that's not true. It's sixteen. I've been here 18 years. She would turn 16 on her next birthday. But that's another kind of landmark birthday. Um, you know, every birthday feels significant to me. I, I mark it in, um, I have a routine that I do or a ritual that I do. And, and part of what always strikes me is how much time has gone by. And I try to conjure up an image of, of what, this year it'll be what would a 16-year-old girl look like and be doing and what would our relationship be like? And sometimes that kind of imagining brings me comfort and sometimes it, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't. It just feels like, boy, we both we both missed out. So kind of similar to what I was just saying, I, I can't always predict what the birthdays are going to be like for me. But I, I do my best to, to show up and, and be available for whatever the experience might be on that. One of, the, one of the nice traditions I read about in your book uh, was how you and your family and friends would uh, do certain acts of kindness on her birthday to honor her. Could you give some examples of some of the things that, that y'all have done over the years? Mm-hmm. Well, I do. I not every birthday, but many birthdays, I've done a, a random act of kindness. And then on her 10th anniversary, I invited family and friends who were really with me at the time to do something as well. And that was really fun. So I had um, my, I have a brother who lives in California, as well as one who lives here. And he and his um, two children and my um, sister-in-law, they brought like cupcakes in the shape of flowers to each student in, they were in elementary school at the time, to each student in their class with a little little note that said in remembrance of Carly. And that just knocked me out. That, that, was, that was probably my favorite thing. But I had friends leave flowers at other people's door, um, deliver groceries for a, a sick neighbor or help out on a, um, my brother here helped out on a, someone who was redoing a kitchen. One of the, the things that I did one year that really stuck out for me was I delivered cupcakes to the hospital, the maternity wing of the hospital where I delivered her. And that felt really fun and hard. And I just, and I told, I just went up to the nurse's station and I said, hey, you don't know me, but I had a baby here, this is probably 10 years ago, and I would just like to give you these cupcakes for today. And I remember the nurse at the station was like, oh my God. <laughs> I said, no, I'm fine. I'm good. It's okay. And I got back into my car and I was like, oh, you did it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, let's do this. We, we do this on the podcast. Uh, we have the authors read a little bit of their work and uh, I'm going to have you read from the beginning, this is a—it's kind of a prologue. It's uh, it's uh, chapter one. It's called the Doc, and uh, 
And you're going to pick up uh, about halfway through here um, in this chapter. And um, it's uh, it's kind of self-explanatory. So if you want to just pick it up uh, and read it, uh, we'll talk talk about it. The frame used to sit on the windowsill beside a pink bowl where I kept two Polaroids, our hospital bracelets, the ultrasound photo, and several seashells I'd fervently gathered for her on a Florida beach after the goodbye. The bowl lay carefully wrapped in the bag, along with a floral hat box stuffed with condolence cards, one small diaper, and my plum-colored journal filled with letters to her and reflections on how to keep living. No way would Mover's hands touch the homage to my daughter. I was carrying it myself. I should get out of here, I said aloud. The Movers will wonder where I am. Facing the bank of windows, my eyes followed the gently rolling lawn, past the weeping willow and the dogwoods, past the patches of azaleas and hydrangeas, down to the water. I'd been renting this simple basement apartment of a beautiful home that sat on the shoreline of a small lake. It was here where I discovered that the outdoors held magic, that bird songs could uplift, and that amber and golden leaves swirling in circles on a windswept fall morning could astonish with their sun-dappled dance. It was here where I no longer dreaded the swoop of emptiness descending like a fast-moving fog, my breath suddenly shallow, chest tight, body wanting to curl up like a potato bug. I learned to yield to sorrow and retreat to my easy chair or the patio next to the rose bushes or the dock where ripples of water weave through my toes. Part of me longed to extend the lease on the apartment because it was here where I'd stopped spinning. Finally, enfolded in the peaceful solitude of the lake house, I had looked inside myself, cultivated roots, and begun to heal. Are you ready, Max? My voice echoed through the empty rooms. My gray tuxedo cat eyed me from behind the toilet where he'd spent the day. He was still adjusting to life without his beloved brother, whom I'd recently buried out back near the gardenias. It's okay, little boy. I rubbed the white patch beneath his chin. You'll like the new house. As I turned to leave, I caught my reflection in the mirror. And you'll like it, too. My cheeks were flushed, and shadows under my eyes showed fatigue from a late night of packing. I was 43 years old and moving into the first place I'd ever bought, a freshly renovated townhouse with a brand new kitchen and bathrooms and a secluded stone patio lined with crepe myrtles, a home all my own. I scooped Max into my arms and tucked his head into the crook of my neck. He refused to purr, refused to look at me. I'm sorry for another move, I whispered into his downy ear, but this will be it for a while, promise. Should he believe me after the cascade of changes and losses? Impulsively relocating to Chapel Hill had not unfolded as I'd expected. Then again, what had I expected? With little forethought, had I really hoped to flee Boston and my broken heart and slide like warm butter into a new and improved romance, an upgraded life in the South? Had I been naive, desperate, unlucky, perhaps all three? I stood at the dock one last time before placing Max and the canvas bags in my aged Jetta. The air was warm for mid-March and sunlight skipped along the lake's surface. A lone woman in a kayak glided by, stroke slow and steady, her red hat a burst of color against the still, pewter water. 
I watched until she disappeared. A mere two years earlier, on a chilly January afternoon, I had moved by myself into this apartment after my life, as I had known it, had all but disappeared. Like a busted-up jigsaw puzzle, pieces of it had been scattered about, a few gone missing, and somehow I had to make myself whole again. All right, Kristen, uh, that uh, is sort of the opening of the book. It, um, it It's at a point in time where a lot, a lot of things have happened in your life. Uh, uh, breakup, uh, another breakup, the loss of your child. You you went to this uh, lake house. Um, someone moved out of town. You rented it for a couple of years. Uh, you, you, you stayed there. And it kind of leads me to the front cover of your book. I like to talk to the authors about their books, uh, book covers. It, there's a picture here on the cover. It's uh, an Adirondack chair. No one's sitting in it, but there's a very still lake. You can see a little you know, foothills beyond, uh, and your website does the same thing. You've got a beautiful picture on your website of a long dock and, and, and a lake. Uh, talk about uh, that location, that place, and how it helped you heal. Hmm. That location is probably a mile or two from where I live now. It is, um, Chapel Hill has got this sort of secret lake in the middle of it town and you would never know it was there um and i found it because i used to tutor a young girl who lived there and then got reconnected to the family when i was looking for a new place to live after losing the baby and needing to start over and i remember as a tutor looking out their big dining room windows where i used to work with this girl and there was this beautiful lake and these trees. And I thought, boy, they've got such a beautiful place to live. How great. Little did I know I would be living there two years later. And the the beauty of that environment was so important to me. Um, it, it was one of the things that I can point to that I think really helped with my grieving process besides family, besides writing was just the the, the peacefulness, the, the quiet of the lake, it's kind of like an ever-changing tableau. You know, sometimes the lake would be moving in one direction, sometimes in another direction. And um, I, I just learned to feel peaceful in that environment and could sit outside. Um, and they had a dock, just like on my book cover, um, with a bench. And I could just sit out there and do nothing, which was not something that, that was not a familiar activity for me (laughs) to sit and do nothing. And sadly, I'm sort of back in that place where I'm like, uh, I wish I did more of that. But I really could just sort of relax and allow the, the, I got really into birds at that time and just sort of lose lose myself in, in time. And I think I know for certain that that was a critical part of how I just started to accept what had happened and find a way to get back on my feet again. Yeah. Nature is a wonderful way to, to, to cope with lots of different things. Uh, I do it in a trout stream. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do that. Uh, talk about the title from the lake house, from the lake house. What? From the lake house. I, I, this was a title that my, my book group and I, my, my writing group and I, excuse me, Really, we collaborated together on it. Um, 
And because the book opened, the, the, what I just read was the scene where I'm moving out of the lake house. And then, and then we go backwards a few years to see how I crash landed from Boston to Chapel Hill. And, and then at the end of the book, I am moving into the lake house by myself. Um, it felt like a title that would sort of capture the, 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 the time frame that I was talking about. I started at the lake house and I ended at the lake house. How did I do it over again? I don't know if I would pick that title, obviously, because um, not obviously, I've, I've thought about it some more and I, I wonder if it's confusing to some people. Well, I'll, I'll just offer my thought. I, I sort of see it as a, as a way forward, you know, from the lake house uh, and now my life is moving forward. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you'd been part of my writing group. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, in the last lines there, you talked about this jigsaw puzzle that had been scattered about and you went to this place to find, you know, the missing pieces to try to make yourself whole again. And it was a place that you felt comfortable in. And from there now you've 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 built your life and continued to celebrate your your daughter. Yeah, I did. I really felt like it was a place to sort of refertilize my myself, you know, reconnoiter before I go back out into the world and try to make friends and get more involved and and all those things that I did. But it was this sort of resting spot for me to be able to then go back out. Yeah, you said there was a quote on page 76 that drew me in. It said, I would replay the hour I spent with my baby and the weeks and months that followed. In my initial days home, I was grateful to have held her and seen her face, but I ached with regret that I'd never unwrapped her blanket, never saw her hands, toes, belly. Um, that uh, those early days, uh, as you said, you know, grief—it it never goes away, right? I mean, you still have these thoughts um, as you try to move forward with your life. What? What do you, what do you feel now? Because you, if you go back and you read something like that, um, it's hard not to put yourself immediately back into that time frame, that moment in time. Um, how has the distance helped? How is it? How has it not helped? Um, how do you? How do you find your way forward from the lake house? Interesting. As you just read that quote to me, I felt myself going back there <laughs> and this all in nanoseconds I thought okay don't do that now you're 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 talking to someone so keep your keep yourself together um, I don't I don't know how to answer that exactly other than I think there's there's an unpredictability to grieving and I think grieving a a, a baby has got its own unique challenges because of, you know, there's no, it's just, there's no memories, you know, it's just this, this whole potential that didn't come to fruition. Um, so the unpredictability of it is, I don't know when something's going to touch me deeply, when a memory is going to pull me back in. And when it does, I mostly, just sort of go with it if I can. 
and allow myself to feel what I need to feel. I will say that as I was editing the book and drafting the book, which, you know, all writers know, it's a lot of going back and back and back and back. I had a really hard time with those particular chapters. I would just have to steal myself. Um, and part of me later thought, maybe I was too honest there. Maybe I should have left out some of those um, details because maybe it's too much for other people. And I'm, I'm putting myself through this over and over again. But, you know, I think it's, it's a story. And unfortunately, a lot of people are familiar with this experience. Um, so I think there's some value to, to being honest in that regard, even if it does cause some pain. I, I agree. And, and you talk in the book about how you connected with uh, other um you know, mothers who had gone through similar circumstances, one in particular in California and how y'all still write to each other, uh, you know, on the, to, on the day of your uh, children's, what would have been their birthday. Um, and you talk a little bit about uh, how this book um, is really for anyone who's suffered some type of loss because it deals with this idea of resilience and you use the word hope. And I'm, I'm curious where do you see the hope in this story? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the hopes for me in the early days was that I'm hoping I'm going to have a good day or I'm hoping I'm going to have a good morning even. You know, I was so raw and just sort of stripped away of all my defenses, as is the case when anyone goes through a, a trauma that you just vacillate through so many emotions in the course of the day. So for me, hope started out real small. I hope I'm going to be okay today. And then it just broadened into, I hope I'm going to really um, learn something from this. And that's not quite how I would have put it at the time. But once I was over the initial trauma and I was back on my own again, I did have this visceral sense that I was in the middle of a huge change. I could occasionally take myself out of my life and kind of look at it from afar, not always, but sometimes I could do that. And I could see that, wow, this is, this is one of these moments in life where you don't know how you're going to come out the other end, but something's going to really shift for you. So part of my hope then was, let me hope that I'm shifting in a way that's going to be really beneficial. Um, I also had hoped and I think I succeeded that I wasn't going to be, I didn't want this to define me in a, in a negative way. I didn't want to be bitter. I didn't want to be, you know, an angry person who's felt cheated out of, you know, I'd really wanted to be a mother. Um, and I, 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 I didn't have any more children. So I, I didn't, I hope to, to find a way to embrace a new identity for myself without, without, um, feeling jealous of other people or, or envious or just self-pity. So I had, I had a few different layers of hope that I cycled through. Well, that's good. Well, in a few minutes we have left, uh, I just want to hit the writing life a second. You are an educator. Um, you've got a master's in education and professional coaching certification. Uh, your career spans 30 years. You were in the classroom as a teacher for 13 years before you made the leap to higher education as an academic coach and an ADHD specialist 
University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And now you've got this book. And uh, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, a little bit about the difference between the kind of things you do in your, your day job and what it took to, to write this book. Totally different. <laughs> <laughs> totally, total compartmentalizing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I wrote this book completely on the side. No one in my professional life knew I was doing this. And in fact, I like surprised the majority of them this summer when I'm like, hey, guess what? I have a book. They're like, when did you write a book? <laughs> on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. And that, that process was a long process for you because it, 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 I guess you could say that the book actually started long before you thought you were going to write a book, right? Right, right. Yeah. It started by journaling. Um, and journaling was a way to just get my thoughts out and make sense of them. And um, I'd always been a journaler, but after my baby died, I really just, it, it became this imperative that I start writing. And then, um, I got connected to uh, Carol Henderson, who's a local author here in Chapel Hill, who had written a memoir about when she had lost her baby long before I did. And I had read that book and I didn't know that she was local. And suddenly I got connected to her and really through her support and through the support of this writing group and through my volumes of journals that I could just kind of mine through for details, I thought, I could, I could probably write a memoir, you know, and, and my private introverted self thought, well, you'll, you'll write it, but you're certainly not going to publish it. <laughs> no, that's exactly. insane. <laughs> well, now that you've done it, now that you've gotten beyond the trepidation of putting it out there, um, how do you feel about it? And what do you hope readers get from it? I feel really, um, I feel proud about it. I think it's um, what I want people to get out of it is, again, a sense of hope. Um, I don't think it's just for someone who's lost a baby or for families who've lost a baby. Um, but I think it would be particularly helpful for those who have or friends of those who've had um, that loss so they can kind of get a glimpse into what might be going on into the the woman who's grieving it. Um, but I think it's also useful for someone who's going through this life changes all at once. You know, it wasn't just this baby that I lost, but I moved and I lost my relationship. And then I ended the relationship with my baby's uh, father. So it was just sort of one thing after another, after another. So I think for anyone who's in a season of life where it's just this feeling of who's in control here because it doesn't seem to be me. I think the, the book sort of speaks to what that can feel like as well. So I am, I am proud. I'm proud that I put myself out there as much as I, you know, it's not my, it's not the first choice I would make. So. All right, listeners, we, uh, you're going to be able to find out more about Kristen in the show notes at charlotteristpodcast.com and, and how to get uh, her book. But also, we've got a little extra special thing here we're going to be doing. Kristen and I are going to jump over to uh, our Patreon platform here, uh, which you can join for as little as $5 a month. And you're going to get uh, all the episodes, uh, the exclusive episodes we put up in 2020, more than 30 hours of uh, conversations with authors about the craft and business of writing and, and their writing lives. And 
And in 2021, we're putting out even more than that. But this episode we're going to do is going to be uh, journaling as a precursor to drafting uh, any new piece of writing. And we're going to throw in some publicity for introverts too and find out uh, the answers to, to those questions from uh, Kristen's life. So you can jump over to that. That's uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Or you can find out about it on our website at charlottereadspodcast.com. So Kristen, thanks so much for uh, being a part of Charlotte Readers Podcast. Thank you so much, Landis. This was great. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.